everyone. Welcome to episode 33 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are glad to be together. We haven't seen much of each other. Um, so here we are. That seems to be a theme, though. I know. I know. <laughs> I don't like it. And we kept talking about how we were excited for the dark days to return, so we would have yes. more time to read and spend time together. Yeah. Soon. December. Yeah. Let's hope. <laughs> Excellent. So we have a read-along coming up we that do. we will talk about on the next episode. We just want to remind everybody. Mm-hmm. The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson McCullers. Right. Yeah, I know some people have read it already. Other people are currently reading it. Some people are rereading it. Yeah. Oh. So um, if you have any questions or comments you'd like to share with us before we talk about it, if you could get them to us by December 7th, that'd be great. You can use social media. Email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Great. And you started it, right? I did start oh, it. Definitely. I am I am about 175 pages in and really enjoying it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I look nice. forward to being able to talk with you about it. Nice. So. Yeah. Same here. All and, right. And you wanted to talk about something that happened right after we recorded last Oh, yeah. The I National think. Book Awards. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that they were streaming the National Book Awards um, on their Facebook page, the National Book Foundation. That so that was so cool. it was really fun to watch it. They they had a bit of an introduction and presented two lifetime achievement awards, which was very cool. It was hosted by Cynthia Nixon. Oh, that's cool. And yeah. Bill Clinton gave out the first award, which was to Richard Robertson of Scholastic Lifetime Achievement. And then Anne Annie Prue, who was introduced by Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. uh, won the or was given awarded the second Lifetime Achievement Award. And she didn't start writing until she was 58. Wow. Yeah. So that was a huh. big a big thing. A lot of people, there's a lot of chatter on Twitter and, and places about that fact. What was she before she was doing that? Do you I know? don't know. Huh. I don't know much about her. I've read Brokeback Mountain, mm-hmm. um, and I have The Shipping News, which I haven't read I yet. I loved that book. So, But I do yeah. want to read that eventually here. So I'd love to read her new one, but it's like, a thousand pages is it really yeah it's a commitment definitely yeah Mm -hmm. um and so then after that they had a bit of a dinner break and instead of just having the cre the screen go blank for a while um they actually showed clips of the finalists reading from their work from the day before because i guess the national book the awards is like a two-day event they come and they do their reading Mm -hmm. all the finalists so they showed clips of that which was really cool because i wasn't familiar with a lot of the books or some of the writers, so it was neat to hear them read from their work. And then when they came back from the break, that's when they uh, handed out the awards for, it was Young People's Lit, which was won by uh, Meg, oh, I'm sorry, Meg Medina was the person who gave the award out, but it was Robin Benway for Far From the Tree. The Poetry Award went to Frank Bedart for Half Light, Collected Poems, 1965-2016. The Nonfiction Award went to Masha Gessen for The Futurist History, How Totalitarianism Reclaimed Russia. And then the fiction, they made a point of saying, like, these are not, this is not, the fiction isn't the grand winner. Mm. You know, because so many award shows, they kind of leave the the big one for last forever, Um, which caused a lot of people to laugh, but... The winner uh, was Jasmine Ward for mm-hmm. Sing, Unburied, Sing. And she was 
the only African-American woman to win the award twice. I was going to say, because she won for Salvage the Bones. Yeah. yeah, so she was the first, and I think the first African-American to win it twice. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was really, it was a really um, a neat thing to see it. Yeah, I wonder if you can rewatch it. You know, like I wonder if oh. they recorded it and it's available. Because I would is, love yeah. to watch that. Mm-hmm. And they, they, it was a stationary camera, so it wasn't like they were panning the audience. Because I wanted to see some of the people in the yeah. audience. Yeah. Um, because a couple of people made reference to other folks sitting at their tables. Um, because the person who gave out the award was the chair of that committee of judges. Uh-huh. Which was kind of neat, and they would say who the judges were for that award okay. category. So um, Annie Philbrick got a nod, yes, right? Totally. She's, yeah. she's the bookstore owner of Mystic. No, that's not what Bank it's Square called. Books. Bank Square yeah. Books in and Mystic. Savoy Bookshop, which is in our neck of the woods. Totally. So that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. So it was a, it was a, a neat thing to see. So congratulations to to all the finalists. Yeah. It was such a great collection of books. Yeah. That's great. I'm sorry for Minjin Lee, but it's an honor to be, you know, well, in, the, in the running. I know. I, I, I was yeah. really pulling for her. Yeah. And what was neat, I was thinking about it, was we met both Minjin Lee and Lisa Ko, mm-hmm. who was another finalist. Mm-hmm. So I, it was kind of neat to have met two of the finalists yeah. this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Very yeah. cool. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. It'd be fun to go, wouldn't it? It would. I would love to do that. Yeah. Rub shoulders with... A bunch of people that I admire. <laughs> well, and I, they're they're my rock stars. I've always said that. You know, I yeah. I think authors are amazing human beings. Mm-hmm. What yeah. were you going to say? I'm sorry. I was just going to say I. You hear you you could hear the uh, plates and silverware uh-huh. clanging in the background and everything. And I had asked because people were commenting on Facebook. They allowed comments, and then I think other times they had them shut off. But I was like, so what's everybody eating? Right? You know, what's the food like? <laughs> I want to know what they were serving at this. Give me the details. Wonderful yeah. ceremony. That's true. That would be interesting to know who, you know, what kind of food <laughs> it is. Let's talk about our just reds. Yes. Well, I have not been doing much reading, but I did. I've been doing a lot of traveling mm-hmm. and not much reading. But when I was heading to get on the airplane for my last trip, I thought, go to your bookshelf and pick something you've really wanted to read and just haven't. Mm-hmm. Like, do yourself the, the pleasure of treating yourself. So nice. I walked over to my bookcase and I got Plain Song Down oh, by Kent Harris, cool. which I have been wanting to read. And, and so many people I follow on Goodreads and just wax poetic about that book. And mm-hmm. it's a five-star read for everybody. And um, it to me, I wrote one word down next to it. Perfect. Wow. I loved it. I love his writing. It's very spare. He doesn't use quotation marks, mm. which I know for some people is maddening. For me, that's perfect. I noticed that I skip a lot of the he said, she said. She turned her head and said, you know, like that stuff is kind of maddening to me. So it was very spare writing. It's about small town life which I really appreciate. I mean, it, it was reminiscent of Richard Rousseau to me. Mm. And um, and the, the characters are really lovely, and it's um, kind of about intermingling um, different neighbors together, which is what happens in small town life, mm-hmm. and how we kind of um, understand each other in certain ways, but then also don't. You know, mm. I was born and raised in a small town and lived in one for many, many years. And so... Um, 
the crux of the book focuses around several different characters, but one of the main story arcs is a young teenage woman who gets pregnant and her mother throws her out of her house. And one of her teachers, I believe it's one of her teachers, comes up with the idea that she could move in with these two older slash elderly gentlemen mm. who have never been married, live on a dairy farm, are hard scrabble, hardworking guys, know nothing about having a kid, <laughs> nevertheless a teenage, pregnant teenager move in. <laughs> and the relationship that develops with them is really quite lovely. Um, and then there's another character who works at the local high school, and he has two boys, young boys, and a wife who's left him and is having some um, mental health issues. And it's a little unclear, you know, whether it was just like being a mother is too much or if there was more to it. So it's just a cast of different characters that are somehow intertwined because they're all in the same community. And I was thrilled to read that it's the first in a in a trilogy. Mm -hmm. The other two are Eventide and Benediction. Nice. So those are definitely going to be on my list in the future. Very cool. And he also wrote the book Our Souls at Night, which was published a few years ago before his death, which is a very small, another perfect book, which was recently made into a movie um, on and is on Netflix starring Jane Fonda and Robert Redford. Oh, interesting. But I'm ambivalent about watching it because I love the book so much. Yeah. So maybe on a cold winter's night, I'll give it a try. Yeah, um, yeah, it's tough when you love a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Plain Song by Kent Harris. Nice. That's on my list, too. Mm -hmm. One of, I've been wanting to read. Yeah. Uh, well, my first book also takes place in a small town, but it's a small town in Australia. I read The Dry by Jane Harper, mm -hmm. which I had mentioned way months yeah. ago like I I think at the beginning of the year it was in one of the book magazines I had seen it listed there it's an international bestseller I, as I said Jane is from Australia and this she submitted her manuscript to the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for unpublished manuscripts and she submitted her manuscript and it won mm -hmm. in 2015 so this is the book international bestseller it's a mystery thriller it really just drew me in, and I enjoyed it so much. I was surprised and a little disheartened at first because it takes place in Australia in a, a fictional town, and the town is in a drought. They've not had rain for two years, and it's a farming community. Mm. So it's been down on its luck for a long time, and this drought is just killing it even further. Um, but what happens is a man kills his wife, and his son, his five-year-old son, and spares the infant daughter who's in a crib. So he gets a call. He, I, okay, let me back up. The main protagonist is a guy named Aaron Falk, right? He works for the federal police of Australia doing kind of like financial investigations. He's kind of has a good reputation. And the man who murders his family is his high his childhood best friend oh. all right so he gets a call he's obviously seen this on tv because it's made national news this murder but the parents of the dead guy who, who kills himself after he kills his family contact him and say you know we'd like you to come so he comes to the funeral and he's not exactly welcome back in his town because of something that had happened another death that happened while he was in high school and he and his father had left town and moved to the city. So he's not welcome back. 
he'd kept in loose touch with his friend over the years, but not, you know, they weren't buddies or anything anymore. So he gets involved in investigating what actually happened because the local police think it's pretty much a cut and dry case. He killed his family and then he killed himself. You know, same old story that we hear so much Mm -hmm. in America. And I guess it was just depressing to think like, oh gosh, this is happening all around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, this gun violence. So I don't want to say too much about the story. I actually tried to figure out who done it while I was reading along because there are just some fantastic red herrings Ooh. who make you think, like, oh, it has to be that person. No, no, that person. So <laughs> I actually had a list going of who I thought did it and on what page I thought that and why. And I totally, totally didn't get it. So you didn't even get close? No. Oh, wow. I, I did love not. Books like that. I did not. And I, I really love her writing. Okay. I, I'm really excited to have read this book. So, so it's her debut. Yes, it's okay. her debut. Her second book is coming out here in the States. I believe it's already been out in Australia and the UK. Her second book is Force of Nature, and that's coming out in January. Okay. And I have to give our friend Kate a shout-out for sending me the advanced reader copy of the book because she had received oh. an advanced reader copy, and she saw me posting about the dry on Instagram and was like, nice. just showed up in the mail. So oh, that was a nice so surprise. Yeah. yeah. So again, that's The Dry by Jane Harper. It's available now in hardcover here in the States. So if you are a mystery thriller reader, definitely Go check it out. It. Yeah. Great. I haven't read anything else. So what else did you read? Well, I read another thriller. This one is one I had read for Criminal Element. It's Hunter Killer by David Poyer. And that is a nautical naval thriller. It uh, reminded me a bit of Tom Clancy because mm-hmm. there's a lot of technical stuff in there. It basically it's the story of five different people. There's the main character Dan, who is temporarily promoted to admiral. And so I should say this is a series of books, and I'm not even sure the guy uh, David Poyer. He's written like over forty books. And this book is the latest in his Modern Navy series, which is really looking at the cutting-edge technology of the Navy. Mm-hmm. And at, at the beginning of this book, the U.S. is already involved in a war with North Korea and China. Yikes. And it's not going well. China's the main aggressor, and they've, they're kind of like countries are tumbling all over the world and becoming the People's Republic of whatever, you know, modeled after the People's Republic of China. So you jump into this novel, and there's a ton of backstory you could tell with some of these characters, because there's a main character, uh, there's a woman commander of a ship, there is a young guy who is an undocumented worker who is, I guess, given the choice to get deported or join the Marine Corps, which... I don't think is a possibility, like the whole thing of, you know, somebody standing in front of a judge and saying it's prisoner of the Marine Corps, like that stuff doesn't fly anymore, you know, but there's that guy. Um, Then there's a a CI, no, he's a SEAL. He's a Navy SEAL who's a prisoner of war in some heinous Chinese POW camp somewhere along the Chinese, China-Afghanistan border. So he breaks out with a group of people. So it's their saga of, walking through the mountains of China or or Mm -hmm. Afghanistan. They're not sure where they are. And then there's also the main character's wife, who is a military analyst, and she's in Washington, D.C. 
So you get the high-level Washington, D.C., warmongering political view of what's going on, and then uh, the main character who's leading this battle group to clear a path through the Pacific so the battle can be, you know, the battles can be fought on the Pacific and the supply chains can keep moving. And then the young Marine, he's going through boot camp, and then what happens after boot camp? Uh, so it's just a lot. It was a hard mm -hmm. review to write because there is so much going on. And like each chapter was a different storyline of whatever character. I, I'm interested in reading the, the earlier books because with, with each book, this main character is at a different rank mm -hmm. with different responsibilities and different assignments. So when he starts out, he's either a, he, I guess he's a lieutenant when he starts out in the first book. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. And then, like I said, it's like Tom Clancy. There's a lot of technical stuff. See, like, I can't do that. So much of the stuff, like, I didn't know what the hell's yeah. going on, but he writes it in a way that, you know, you just keep moving forward because, like, you know the action is happening. And there's even one point where one of the sailors is saying, you know, I'm coordinating blah, blah, blah to do DDD. And the admiral says he didn't know what the guy was talking about. <laughs> he didn't really care, you know. So it's like, okay, if the admiral doesn't understand, right. I guess I'm, you I'm don't have clear. to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it, it was a good read. And I read somewhere that David Poyer's books, some of them are actually included in, in the syllabus at the Naval Academy oh. in the Literature of the Sea class that they teach oh, there. That's cool. Yeah, because he is a Naval Academy graduate and he served in the Navy. So that lends itself to a lot cred. of realism. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Nothing really fell flat. A good book. Anyway, if you're into military fiction, sea fiction, this would probably be right up your alley. It's Hunter Killer by David Poyer, and that comes out, I believe, next week. Great. All right. Well, I'm just going to do all the talking for Please, a while. Okay. I didn't read much. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say quickly, I read a small little short book it is just let's see 95 pages it's called cove um by i don't know if it's it's sign in jones is that, that how you pronounce right, that yeah. this is basically a short story it won a short story award and was then published by granta books which was part of winning the award and it's about a guy who's out kayaking and gets hit by lightning I can't believe you right? read that, <laughs> although I'm dying to read it now, because well, you loved it, I right? did love it, and as I said, it's like, one of my favorite things to do meets one of my biggest fears, Right. because I'm so afraid of lightning, like, people really? laugh at me, but, like, I will run from the car to home or whatever if it's lightning, like, I don't want to take a chance. I think that probably means you're smart. <laughs> But it's good to fear things that are to be feared. In yeah, my right. Opinion. Yeah, I know my I know my place in the universe. But yeah, so it's all about and his memories wiped for the most oh. part. So as he's struggling to figure out why he's there and what's going on, because he gets popped out of his kayak and he's floating. He has a like a wetsuit on, so he's floating in it. I don't know if he had a wetsuit or just some kind of flotation device. So he wakes up. And he's tethered to his kayak, mm. but he didn't have a tether for his paddle. 
Oh, which God. when I'm reading this, I was like, damn, Emily and I were getting tethers. Yep. And Laura and yeah, everybody. Jim, everybody yeah, get yeah. tethers well, free I paddles. Was, I was telling Chris this story. <laughs> the first time I went kayaking with, with Jim, he I, I was using his paddle and it had this thing attached to it. And I unvelcroed it and handed it to him. And he was like, actually, that's supposed to stay on there. I'd never seen one, but yeah. it's really smart. Definitely, yeah. So it, it's a short book. It's really wonderful. It's just... You can obviously just, you know, one one sitting and you're yeah. done reading it. I want to go back and read it or reread it already. Um, but there's just so many wonderful lines in here and images. At one point, he, he finds a feather. And uh, this is just uh, three short sentences. He trapped it with his thumb, held it carefully, his memory like a dropped pack of cards. Mm. which I thought was such a great image Um, for somebody who is, you know, memories are starting to come back here and there. And so he, and he's stuck in this kayak without a paddle. You know, my paddle broke on one of my paddles and it had been duct taped together, which tells you the state of the paddle. And I, I, I could, I could take a little tiny piece of duct tape and hold it together to get home. But I realized like you are, SOL without oh, a paddle yeah. out there. <laughs> Upshits Creek without a paddle, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> About sums it up. So yeah. I, I would love to borrow that and read it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll leave it with you here today. It's Excellent. really good. So that's Cove by Sinan Jones. And he has some other books out as well. And he's from Wales. Oh. He's a Welsh writer. How did you find out about that book? It, it was a, one of my blogger friends, a book blogger, Booker Talk. Is the name oh, of her right. blog? Yeah, because you gave her a shout out. Yeah, yeah. it was on okay. uh, her blog. Um, and then I also ran across Simon from the readers too. He has praised the book as well. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So good stuff there. Did you read anything else? I listened to a book. Oh, great! I did. Um, I listened to Ten Days in a Madhouse, which was by Nellie Bly. Nellie Bly was a do you, do you know about her? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, people, some people do, some people haven't heard about her. This originally came out in 1887, and she was an investigative reporter who went undercover into an insane asylum to write about the conditions and what actually went on, because a lot of people didn't really know. I was really drawn into the story because she talks about how she thought about getting in there. So she kind of sets things up by taking very little money and going to like a woman's boarding house first Mm. and then acting crazy so that they would kind of turn her over and then eventually hopefully get to the insane asylum. So it's a really good picture of what a woman's boarding house is like from this time period, Mm. the late 19th century, and then who the women were in this insane asylum. And most of them that she was around were not insane. And she makes a point of saying that after she was there and behind the door, behind closed doors, she talked sanely, she acted sanely, she acted just like herself. And it was almost as if the more normal she acted, the more insane they thought she was. Mm. So, I mean, the conditions were atrocious. They were eating Mm. rotten food, they were being beaten, Mm. they were being treated very harshly, Mm. and then made to sit on a wooden chair or a wooden bench from like 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day without moving, without talking. And that'll make you and crazy. And she was like, you know, the lack of food, the lack of sleep, because they would walk around every hour opening everybody's door, unlocking it. Mm-hmm. So they're not getting sleep. 
they're not getting food, they're being abused, they're, there's nothing to stimulate their minds because they can't even talk with one another. Mm. So the plan was her, I guess it was her editor, would then come and get her out with, within like a week or something like that. Because you'd think, too, like... Yeah, she could get stuck there. You could get stuck yeah. there, exactly. So she got out, and within two weeks, there was a grand jury investigation into the conditions there. Oh, wow. And the grand jury, after she testified, asked her to go with them to... to it was Blackwell's Island Asylum in New York. So she went, and everything was different. Mm. And I guess word had leaked that they were coming. Mm. And they some of the woman, women that she had befriended were gone. Mm. Uh, quite a few of them didn't speak English or didn't speak English very well. There was like a German, a French, a Mexican woman. So they were there like not even understanding why they were there. Mm. And some of the women, like there was the the Mexican woman, when uh, Nellie Bly asked about her, they're like, no woman exists like that. Mm. So you think like, what happened to her? Yeah. And and some women asked to, to go or for aid, they asked for financial help and they ended up in the insane asylum or they were recovering from an illness they were put in the insane asylum mm. it's just shocking mm. um, so her investigation and reporting really changed things, It uh, they think it eventually led to the closing of this institution but it did result in a one million dollar increase in funding for the asylum wow. which was a big chunk yeah. of change back then um, I believe the, the asylum was in existence from 1839 to 1894. And her reporting was in 1887. So it was just a handful of years after she did that. But it made me think, too, of a story of Witold Pilecki, who was a Polish officer during World War II, who went undercover into Auschwitz because they didn't really know what was going on at this time. I think it was 1942. You know, like, they knew about the concentration camps for political prisoners and whatnot. Everybody knew about those. But there were these other big camps that they didn't know what was going on because there was such secrecy around them. So he was tasked with getting in there. Mm. And then he started a resistance movement within and then eventually escaped. Yeah, because um, obviously he didn't close it down. Yeah. Still had years to go. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, and his story was pretty tragic because he, he went through that. And, of course, the Allies didn't believe what his report had to say. Uh, and then after the war and after Poland was liberated, he was then arrested by the Soviets and eventually executed by them. Mm. So, mm. you know. You just know everything, Chris. Uh, well... <laughs> good book though that one the was it the Auschwitz volunteer I can't think of the title mm. off the top of my head but we're told Pilecki is his name and we'll put that in the well, show yeah, notes we'll look it up. Yeah. that's a really good really good read and they actually made a movie out of it it's in Polish I don't even I haven't looked it up yet but I know it's out there and I'm not sure if they're English subtitles or not I'll try to find it see if I if I okay. can I'll put it in the show notes All right, cool Currently reading, I am currently reading, are you ready? (laughs) Surviving the Future, 
Culture, Ooh. carnival, and capital in the aftermath of the market economy. Wow. Obviously <laughs> nonfiction. <laughs> I am going, um, which I will talk about in um, upcoming uh, jaunts, um, I'm going to a symposium where they're talking about this book. So I am trying to get through it. It's kind of dense. I've been reading it for several weeks. I love the idea of it, which is about kind of bringing things back local mm-hmm. and um, that how, how important culture is and how we can actually have very different economies, much different than what our big market economy that's based on profit looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get through it. It's based on um, the, the I, I think he econ- was an economist. He's passed away now, David Fleming. Mm-hmm. But it's edited by a young man named Sean Chamberlain, who um, kind of took David Fleming's writing and made made it into this book. He was very well known for kind of a flamboyant way of presenting his ideas, and but there hadn't ever been something just, you know, in writing this way, discussing his ideas. Interesting. So more to come when I finish it and after I talk about something that I'm heading to do around it in, the, in another segment. All right. <laughs> Surviving the future, culture, carnival, and capital in the aftermath of the market economy. Edited by Sean Chamberlain. Well, I'm currently reading nothing. Oh, okay. I am between books, but I will be starting The Heart is a Lonely Haunter tonight. Well, that was going to be the so, next thing I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, I'm about 175 pages in. Again, to remind people, this is our read-along that we'll be discussing in the next episode. Mm-hmm. I know some people are listening to the audio and loving the audio. Yeah. So I was thinking if, I, if it's available, I might listen as well, just to kind of see what that's like. Someone famous is, narrates. It's some... Yeah, I don't remember her name, but on Audible, people were saying it's a well-known actress yeah. who does a great job narrating it. I did a preview, mm-hmm. listen to it, but then I thought I needed to read it. Yeah. I do better sometimes reading. And I thought, well, I could read it, and then, like you're saying, if I have time, listen yeah. to it as well. It could be interesting. I'm really enjoying it. I think it's a, a fascinating story, so I'm looking forward to us talking about it next next, next week. Episode. Really? Next week, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, Biblio Adventures. I have been around the world. You have been. Why don't you go first? Let's, <laughs> let's hear about this. I've been to several states since Chris and I met a couple of weeks ago. So, I mentioned this already. I did get into Kentucky, down to Kentucky and got to go to the Berry Center. Mm-hmm. Um, we had talked about the Berry Center on a couple episodes, I think, and had put it in our... So you had tagged it in our social media feed. Mm-hmm. And I walked up to the meeting and Wendell Berry's granddaughter is the curator of the bookstore and runs the bookstore. And I walked up and she said, you're the woman that does the podcast, which was really cool. (laughs) And so she and I, of course, right away got talking books and she's been doing some really cool, um, book clubs through the center. And, um, you know, the lucky people that live down in Henry County, Kentucky, they do, if they do a reading of Wendell Berry, then she's also, had times where they've gotten together as a group with Wendell Berry. That's great. And he's, she said, has really loved it because it's interesting to, you know, see how people are affected by your books. And she told this really cool story where they, the way the book clubs worked is they asked people to be leaders of different book clubs and they were doing a one read. I can't remember them. It was one of his novels, which I'm sorry, I can't remember. But one woman then when they got together, a woman that they had asked, then when they got together with all the book club leaders, 
she admitted that she had never finished a book completely, and she was in her 50s, mm-hmm. and that she was embarrassed when they asked her to be, because she's, she's a community member, you know, mm-hmm. that they knew, was embarrassed to admit that she'd never finished a book wow. in her life. So she, it really changed her life, she said. And um, Anyway, so they're doing some really cool things. I got about 10 minutes in the bookstore, which killed me. <laughs> I will be going back after the first of the year, but um, and I might just add a day to my trip. You should, I, yeah. I could have spent at least two hours, but they have all of Wendell Berry's works in different printings, you know, so different covers. They have um, shelves of books that the people who are part of the bookstore recommended for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. They had books that Wendell Berry feels like have impacted his writing. And then they just had beautiful sidelines. Like, they had this beautiful... Um, calendar made out of um, uh, homemade paper that then had a poem by Wendell Berry signed by him. Beautiful. So so I only got to be there for a minute. I bought a book of poems and I bought um, a copy of his The Unsettling of America. And then I had the honor of having dinner with Wendell Berry and his wife, Tanya Berry, in their home. And I just knew it would be completely inappropriate to bring my books, but I was dying to bring them to be signed. So maybe on my next visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I just know, like, there's a time and a place for that stuff. So I came back from Ohio and Kentucky, and then I turned around and went up to Vermont with my daughter, Rachel. And we went to Burlington, and there's a great bookstore right on Church Street, the main drag there, where they have the, there's like a, what do you call that, Um, a pedestrian block where there are no cars, and it's called Crow Bookshop. Beautiful bookstore with new and used books. The the shelves, the wooden shelves were just spectacularly made. They looked kind of handmade, and then it was one of those buildings with exposed brick, which I have a real affinity for. Um, It's been around for Years, I want to say he's been there. He said he'd been there since the 70s. I didn't buy a book, however, I did buy a card. They had these adorable cards, and I got this card, which I'm going to send to my son Jacob, that has a picture of underwear on the front, <laughs> and it says, I have the worst job in the world. <laughs> and then underneath it says, Underwear. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what I'm going to write on the inside. The inside is blank, but when I saw this card, it was just screaming Jacob's name. <laughs> And then um, we went down, we kind of did a tour of Vermont, because Rachel is actually considering moving there. We went down to Montpelier, Vermont, and went to Bear Pond Books, which is another really sweet bookstore. Um, it had a really squeaky wood floor, which I loved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, too, has new and used books. And they have a really cool system where they just put this little blue dot on the binder binding, which makes you know that it's a used book. Oh, okay. So they're interspersed, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the new and used are interspersed together. I like when they do that. Me, too. Do that, yeah. Yeah. And I bought a copy of The Great Santini by Pat Conroy. Woo-hoo! Yeah, because um, Jim has never read Pat Conroy, and we had asked you in the summer what your recommendation was for where to start, and that's yeah. the one you recommended, and I saw it and thought, okay. Yeah, well, with Jim having been in the military, too. And, yeah. Yeah. Seems like a good place for him to start. Mm-hmm. And then I went up to Montreal for Thanksgiving with my kids, Rachel and Jacob, and we spent Thanksgiving there. And um, we went to this market, I do not speak French, so please pardon my pronunciation, but it was called Jean, Jean Talon Market. And right when we walked in, it's like a big indoor, basically farmer's market, and mm. fruit stands and pastry stands and stuff. 
But there was a bookstore of just cookbooks. Oh, wow. Called Library <laughs> Gourmand. All in French, of course. And Rachel's with me. She's like, what, what do you, why do you want to look at this bookstore? You know, you don't speak French. And I said, because it's beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and it was really cool. And I just, I love when bookstores are just, you know, one subject area. Is that, I guess that's what mm-hmm. you would say. Yeah. 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 Um, so that was cool. And I didn't buy one, but, um. I enjoyed perusing. Mm-hmm. So I bet you did. Yes. So I got so around. Did they have it then within the bookstore? Obviously, by like baking and sautéing, or they did. Uh, they they had different. Um, yeah, they did, and they they also had you know different um, cultures of different you know. So they had you know Asian cookbooks and stuff oh, like that. Okay. They were just all in. French. They were just all in yeah. French. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, and I saw it was funny. I saw. Um, The guy, Sander Katz, who I had met when I was in Vermont this summer, who was doing the fermentation class Mm -hmm. and is like a fermentation guru, they had his book, you know, and there was a picture of him and on the cover it's all in French, you know, the art of fermentation in French. So that was kind of cute. Yeah, Yeah. I took a picture of that. Um, That's cool. I know some crazy collectors collect like every edition of a book, like internationally and hardcover paperback. So that would make somebody happy. That would be cool. I loved that market. I mean, they had this amazing tea shop and spice shop, and they had one booth that was all just sheep's milk products, which is really hard to find. And yeah. We had a good time. Yeah, it was nice. Cool. And I, I passed several bookshops in Montreal, but my kids weren't having it. Oh, but we did go. I forgot one place. We went to McGill University. And walked around there, and we did go into the law library there, oh, neat. which was really cool. And and it was um, a lot of students there studying very beautiful stacks, kind of one, kind of almost new, like our New England libraries, where there was an old and a new part. Mm-hmm. And they had these pictures, class pictures, you know, where with it's the type where it's a big framed thing with each of them individually in those little circles. Yeah, and they were all wearing the same matching vest sweater vest which I thought was really interesting yeah you know like you just don't see that around these parts I don't think um I mean you see it in you know Catholic schools and stuff like that but you don't I don't think you see it so much in college no really yeah yeah although maybe I just don't hang out in the the smart schools you know but (laughs) (laughs) anyway so we did pass some other bookstores that I didn't get to go in but I I you know got to get in a few so cool and I'm happy to be home. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you are. What a whirlwind. Yes, yeah. yes. So what about you? Yeah. Where did you go? Well, I went to the Beinecke. Um, my my friend Ray there is uh, one of the curators. And they their current exhibit at the Beinecke, we should say the Beinecke is Yale's rare book library. And they always have a public exhibit. So... The stacks are not open to the public or even to researchers. It's all called and brought to you by a, uh, a library worker. But they have in their, what do you call it, the mezzanine mm-hmm. level, they always have an exhibit there. Right. So yeah. um, their current exhibit is a gathering of medieval English manuscripts. It's the Takamaya collection. Ah, gosh, where to start with this? Um, Takamaya is a retired professor in Japan. He's from a wealthy family, and he's also a collector of medieval English manuscripts, Mm. 
which is a very unique combination. You know, you might have a scholar who wishes he could be a collector, but can't afford it because most scholars are not wealthy enough to be collectors. And then you don't often have collectors who are scholars of what they're collecting. And I know collectors who sometimes don't even read books. They just collect them. Right. Which is a totally different thing. And so, sometimes they even put them in plastic and they like they don't even look at them. And exactly, yeah, them or they'll put them in a vault them. somewhere, right, you know, because right, it's yeah. all about the monetary value. So um, for this gentleman to be a scholar, a collector, and, and wealthy enough to be a, a collector at this level is just amazing. So uh, Ray Clemens, who's the, the curator, had gone to Japan and met with Mr. Takamaya, or doctor, I should say. I guess, you know, looking at medieval manuscripts in the world and the, the studying of them, the Beinecke Library in Yale University was maybe like fourth or fifth in the world in terms of medieval manuscripts and, and studying and attracting students. With this collection that they've purchased, they're now number one oh, wow. in the United States. Because this collection has original... Canterbury Tales um, in it. Uh, I, I couldn't even... T- I mean, just so many of the different manuscripts are just amazing and are from a wide variety of different uh, traditions. Uh, there's Chaucer. I'm, mm. I'm showing Emily. There's a big oversized catalog of the exhibit. Let me just say, if you are in the area, if you're in the New Haven area, go and see this exhibit. It's on through early December. I think December 10th it oh, might so close. Not much time. So anyway, it was really fun uh, to, and I really appreciate Ray taking the time to walk me through the exhibit and tell me a little background on some of the different manuscripts. Uh, It was really kind of, it was a great afternoon actually, and I appreciated his time very much. Fun. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, they had scrolls, books, fragments. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things Ray said, and I didn't think that they still did this, but I guess contemporary booksellers are still doing this when they get a book, and a medieval manuscript, they might break it up mm. into different sections and then sell the different sections because they mm. can make more money. And I thought that was just like a thing of the past, but unfortunately it's not. Mm. But Ray said, with, with this day and age, though, with catalogs and with the Internet, you could really at least look at them collectively if even though they're not physically together anymore, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a good point. So, mm-hmm. again, that's the uh, Takamaya collection at the Beinecke Library at Yale. So, great. So much awesome. fun. Yeah. Good for you. And then, what else did I do? Um, do you have more you want to talk about? Because mm-hmm. I, I did watch um, the new Joan Didion documentary, oh, Slouching Towards Bethlehem. I don't know. Laura and I watched it, and I haven't read her. Okay. I have not read her. And I know I've wanted to read The Year of Magical Thinking, but I've just, I've had so much of my own grief the last couple years with different deaths in the family and and friends that I haven't been up for it, but people I know praise that book up one side and down the Mm -hmm. other. And then her early journalism, I, I just hadn't read. The documentary is done by her nephew, who obviously has a lot of, you know, insider information and perspective on her and her career mm-hmm. and her husband. Uh, it didn't make me want to read her, I have to say. It was depressing as hell. Mm. It didn't, um, yeah, it left me feeling pretty depressed, I got to mm. say. Mm. Not much hope. 
And I guess that's kind of her writing. I mean, yeah, talk I about say. the center <laughs> cannot hold, you know, yeah. taking that T.S. Eliot mm-hmm. a poem, slouch, you know, in the slouching towards Bethlehem. It's not uplifting subject mm-hmm. matter mm-hmm. that she generally writes about. I guess she's known for writing beautifully about horrible yeah. topics. Yeah, and she's had hardship in her life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. Have you read her much? or I've read The Year of Magical Thinking... And I think that might be it. Okay. I can't. She wrote, she has written some short stories. Or no? She's written novels. I know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Then I think that is the only one I've read. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 So that's currently streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's Slouching Towards Bethlehem, the new Joan Didion documentary. So check it out. I'd love to hear what Joan Didion fans think of it. Yeah. Because as I said, I'm not familiar with her, so mm-hmm. I'd love to know what somebody who is really into her thinks yeah. about the documentary. Hmm. Upcoming jaunts. Upcoming jaunts. I only have one. I was hoping maybe you'd have some that we could do together, but the only one I have going on is this Friday. I'm heading back up to Vermont to Sterling College to go to a symposium on this book that I just told you about, Surviving the Future. They're going to have a panel of um, different interesting people talking about, um, you know, Sterling College, what its main focus is on is teaching children. They probably wouldn't appreciate me saying that. (laughs) Young adults um, in the area of sustainable agriculture. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of speaking to that and bringing people back to the earth and rural agriculture and building community and that sort of thing. So that's what this symposium is about. Very cool. Yeah, and I I was looking and a lot of the bookstores around, it's almost like holiday season. There's not that many, you know, events. Not a lot of events. And I just, you know, well, I guess this is a biblio adventure of the past, but this Saturday was Small Business Saturday. Oh, yeah. So I went on a bit of a biblio adventure with myself. Uh, I started at Breakwater Books here in Guilford, and then I went up to the Book Club Bookstore and more in South Windsor, and then on the way home hit the Wesleyan R.J. Julia Wow. So, like, I was, <laughs> a, fun. I was a book warrior. Yeah. It was a lot of fun, but um, I wanted to... To do a little book shopping, a little holiday gift shopping. Yeah, nice. So they, you know, all of the stores, they do have things going on, but it's not, you know, like the heavier fall and spring event season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess the next thing I have planned, well, I do want to go to Mr. Webster's house, as we've talked about. We have to find time for that, but the next thing I have going on is the Willa Cather birthday party, December 7th. That's next week. Yeah, two weeks, isn't it? Oh, it's oh, next, next week. week. Friday is Holy the first. Holy smokes. <laughs> I can't believe how fast I I know. By. It's December it's on Friday. Crazy. Yeah, I'm yeah. hoping I can go with you. That'd be yeah. really fun. That'd be a lot of fun, yeah. yeah. And I should say the Book Club Bookstore, too, they, they, they were also celebrating their four-year anniversary. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, on, on Small Business Saturday, and they had a great turnout. They had authors and some vendors there because they also sell sidelines gifts right so um that was pretty cool oh good yeah good well then i guess we might have a couple joint jaunts coming up yeah that's that'd be awesome and what about i know you're not currently reading so have you you know that you're going to do the carson mccullers do mm-hmm. you have anything else on your upcoming well reads? i do want to read the force of nature that that new jane harper one okay. um that kate had signed yeah and that one's coming out in january so I'm just, while the other book is fresh in my mind, yeah. I, I want to jump into this one. Cool. So and I have Sweet Girl by Travis Mulhauser. And I don't know where this book 
came from. It's on my bookshelf. I think I might have gotten it when I was up in Booktopia, Petoskey, because mm -hmm. it all takes place, I believe, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, or just the Upper Lower Peninsula. I can't remember. Okay. So, more to come on that. I don't remember what it's about. I just picked it up yesterday and was like, ooh, this is really intriguing. I think this is next up. Okay. So, Very cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, and maybe if we get our act together, huh, I don't know, um, it'd be fun on our next episode to talk about a few gift ideas. Absolutely. Because we are, you know, personally, I think it's not too late, but... I know since now they start advertising Christmas and the other holidays before Thanksgiving, maybe it feels a little late, but I think there's right. still shopping time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. You know, one thing, if you don't mind me jumping in, because yeah. um, tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Giving yeah. Tuesday. It, you know, we support independent bookstores, obviously. Mm -hmm. We're always talking about going to them, and uh, we know a lot of our listeners do too, and one way that you could support booksellers is to donate to the Bank Foundation, which is a, it was an organization that actually started at Borders in the 90s, I believe. And it was to give aid to employees who needed it. And they also had a scholarship arm. And after Borders uh, liquidated in 2011, it became a industry-wide organization, nonprofit to help booksellers in general, independent booksellers. So it helps them with natural natural disasters. It helps them with personal help when they need it for health issues or domestic situations where they have to get out. They also have the scholarship still going on. So they've they've helped bookstores recover from floods and hurricanes and oh, fires. Cool. And can, can you spell it? What is Yeah, it's B I N C. Okay. And so that bank is what mm. Borders employees used to call headquarters, bank. Oh, okay. It stands for Borders Group Incorporated mm -hmm. was the official legal name of mm -hmm. Borders. So bank is what we called it for short. Mm. And now it's called the Bank Foundation. So it's B-I-N-C foundation.org. And, you know, if you want to support booksellers in a different way. Yeah. That That's might be good. something to, to consider. What a cool yeah. legacy that Borders left behind, Yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I knew employees whose kids or themselves got the scholarships uh, to help them with college. And then when I was, oh gosh, I don't know if it was 2009 or so, the whole area where I lived and worked was declared a nation, national disaster because of flooding. Mm. Um, this is in northern Illinois, uh, Chicago area. And I know some people that I worked with got help oh, because cool. of flooding in the homes yeah. and everything. So it's it's great. And I'm so happy that they're keeping it going yeah. because as most of you know, book selling is not a business to get into if you want to make money. Right. And, you it's, know, it's one so little fun. setback can destroy a business. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I didn't know anything Absolutely. about it. And um, I will put that in the show notes, everyone. Cool. So you yeah. can look there. Yeah, so next week we'll... Or next week. Well, yeah, next episode. Next, yeah. So next episode we're going to be talking about The Heart is the Lonely Hunter and maybe some gift ideas. Yes. Cool. Right on. I'm ready. Happy reading, everybody. Happy reading.
Thanks so much for listening to The Book Cougars with Emily Fine and Chris Wallach. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Book Cougars. Please consider leaving us a review on whatever app you use to listen to us. It can help other listeners find us. Thank you.